Uh, the imposter syndrome. Yeah, you want me to talk? Are you are you on? Is this? Are we yeah, doing are it? You you on? Hear? Yeah, I'm pretty on. on. I'm we're pretty on. on. Yeah. You want to know what I have for breakfast? Would you? <laughs> Would you have for breakfast? Well, Leo, this morning I got up and was going to jujitsu, so I like to hit the protein for breakfast. I had uh, a slice of turkey. I had a hard-boiled egg, and I had a piece of toast with some peanut butter and sliced apple on top. Oh, you're you're adventurous. Cold brew coffee. Cold brew coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now is that is that your daily routine there? Or That's what you... I like when I'm getting up early to go to the jujitsu place. I feel like that it makes me happy, and it's about the right input of all the. What do you call it? Macros. That's that's I'm getting my macros right. I, you know, I this whole thing about macros is a new conversation for me. I hear a lot of people talking about it. Well, break break down the macros for the for the people out there who don't. Dude, know what you're that the is. personal trainer, right? I am the personal trainer, but I, but what makes me, I think, a great personal trainer is that I'm always willing to put myself in a position of student. Mm. I'm always. I learned that, and I and actually I credit a good friend of mine, Michael Graham, who I had on a previous episode, um, and we're good friends from college. Mm-hmm. And we'll be hanging out somewhere, and he'll ask somebody a question that I know he knows the answer to. And and at first I didn't say anything, and at some point I was like, "Why'd you ask him that? Like I know you you know that." And he goes, "Because when I hear other people give me the answer, then it reinforces." what I know and helps me to learn, but also they may add something to it that I didn't know. So yeah. he goes, and, and I just want to see what they know. He goes, also, it's a way of seeing like what they, like they really know their stuff. Cause people, you know, a lot of people act like they know mm. everything. And then you, they say something, you just kind of take it at face value. And then when you ask them a little deeper, you go, ah, you don't really know what you're talking about. Right. You're just now kinda... that you're telling me the earth is flat. <laughs> right, right. I'm done. You well, just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, that, I think that makes you a good interviewer, but it's also a good quality in a person. I mean, the whole talking, listening, you know that thing about you got two ears and one mouth, so try and stay proportional. Yes. Um, because when you're talking, you're only finding out what you know, and you already know that. When other per- people are talking, you got a shot at having some new information come in. Absolutely, I just uh, I just found out that here's what I found out. I called my mom, and here's a person that we don't ask enough questions to, right? Mm. Uh, I called my mom this morning. Found out I was ten pounds three ounces when I was born. That's and on the big side for people who don't the, understand. That's on the humongous side. Like a large watermelon is t- a sack of potatoes. I started looking up other things that were 10 pounds. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, my God, I was massive. Yeah. But she had me in less than an hour. and But then it, it caused me to ask her, how much time off does she get from work? Because a lot of moms, because uh, I know my mom, we, we didn't grow up wealthy. We barely had enough. And I was like, how did she give birth to me, raise me, and, and send us to private school um, and and without making a lot of money. And my dad was very supportive, I found out. And she had six months off to breastfeed us. But that brings mm. me into this, talking about information, asking her those questions, maybe also ask the question of, um, how much time do moms get off when after they have a kid? Like, what's their, you know, what's their maternity leave? And, uh, the U.S. is one of three countries 
of the first world countries that don't offer federally, across the board, paid maternity leave. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in 25 states, 25 states, Jake, it is illegal to separate a puppy from the dog after, after uh, within the first eight weeks of the dog giving birth. So dogs have more rights in this country than moms. Or babies. Or babies. Which I'm like, you got to be... But this all started with asking questions of digging deeper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a compassion thing, too. It's funny because I think America is a great country. I, I love it here. Yeah. But when you get your eyes open to, this is how they do it in some other countries... You kind of wonder, like, why why don't we ever listen to that? We're so busy, USA, USA, number one, that we don't bother to think, like, hey, wouldn't it be great if if we had that? Wouldn't it be great if we all had health care? And I know people are like, well, then who's going to pay for it? It's like, well, we got to try and be nice to each other. Absolutely. Well, and, and I, but I, yeah, it was like we're just masturbating on being number one, and but you 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 have to have empathy and. Expand this morning, even when I was doing my gratitude, I was like, Thank you for my health, but thank you for my country's health, thank you for the world health. Like, expand your scope mm. of compassion, of gratitude. Um, and I know that you take uh, is it jujitsu? What are you studying? I'm studying jujitsu now, studying for a jiu-jitsu little more than for, a year. For how long? Uh, a little more than I started in December 17, so you know, coming to a year and a half. I just got my blue belt uh-huh. yesterday. How old are you? It's a big deal. Yeah. Um, I'm 58 years old. 58. Just got your blue belt. Yeah. I'm probably the oldest guy starting out. (laughs) There's guys who are older than me at the gym, but but they all started when they were younger. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's different than you think. I I went in there just because uh, I was interested in it, and Russell Peters said, oh, I said, I think I'm too old. And he said, no, you're not too old. Just go to a gi-only gym and not an MMA gym, and you, you'll be fine. And, boy, people take care of you. You're part of a group of guys. Everybody trusts each other. There's a brotherhood in there that, that I just hadn't experienced in my life before. It's one of my um, favorite places to be is at the jiu-jitsu place. At, so at 57 or 56 did you start? Start at 57. I'm 58 now. What got you into it at that age? Most people are winding down. Most people well, are. I was interested in it, you know, since the first time I saw the UFC and mm-hmm. I saw Hoist Gracie fight this guy, Dan Severn, yeah. who's a wrestler who outweighed him by maybe even 80 pounds or more. And, uh, and he just was patient and he finally caught him in a triangle choke. I mean, part of that's because Dan Severn didn't understand what was going on at the time. Um, but it was, it was just like, oh, that's pretty cool that a guy who's that small can protect himself and, and control and then turn around and dominate a situation. But I never got into it then because it wasn't like it is now where everybody knows somebody who's doing it and people are talking about jiu-jitsu all the time, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, mm-hmm. and that's the place where I'm going is Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And, uh, and then I, I had just kind of gotten to where I, I, didn't, I never did a martial arts, so I sort of thought, oh, these guys, you're going to go in there and they're going to beat up on you. You know, when you're the new guy, it's going to be a wolf pack and you're going to get chewed up and bottom-dogged. Right. And uh, that is 
not the case. Everybody is trying to help everybody else get better in this place. Now, when you first start off, you start on the bottom. The guys on, you know, you not you don't start on the bottom. You start on your knees. But guy's going to get on top of you. You don't know what's going on. He just drags you into the deep end of the knowledge pool, <laughs> and, <laughs> and you try and swim out. Right. You know. But you're trusting the guy. You're trusting that it, as he's about to choke you or break your arm, you tap him and he stops right away. And I was with a guy this morning who is also a blue belt, but he's younger and stronger and you know more advanced than me. And he got me in this thing and I tapped and the, the instructor was watching us and said, uh, oh, you might not, you can get out of that, but I get it. You know, if you feel like you're in danger, you, you, you don't want to get hurt. I said, look, I'd rather come back tomorrow than go to the emergency room and be done. And the guy that I was with said, God, I would feel so bad if I hurt somebody, mm. you know? So, so there's this, there's this brotherhood and trust. So you're, you're competing and you're trying to, well, you're trying to break a guy's arm or choke him to sleep, you know, which is a simulation of death, but you're trusting that he's, you, when you say that, okay, I, I'm done, he's going to stop. And, that's a powerful bond that you then get with these other guys that you go to this place with. And, uh, and also, you know, we were talking about before we started recording, we we're talking about meditation and I feel like connected to that is flow, right? This idea that you're 100% engaged in what you're doing in that moment and jujitsu, you are 100% mentally engaged and you are 100% physically engaged but you're not just engaged in what you're doing, you're engaged in what the other person is doing as well. And so, so, so it's, it's a weird kind of, intimacy is the wrong word, but you, you are, you're deeply connected physically and mentally to this other person because you're trying to figure out what they're trying to do and you're trying to figure out what you're gonna do to counter what they're doing. I know, it's, it's people who don't really understand fighting or martial arts, when they watch it, they think it's just uh, a brutal sport and people trying to kill each other, but there's also uh, uh, a flow to it and a, um, a uh, I don't want to say harmony is the word, but there's, um, you in order for you to be an effective fighter, you also have to be really tuned in and listening, this is your body listening to their body. Yeah. Right? Going back to, to listening and versus talking. It's your, like, you have to feel and anticipate what they're going to do. And it also, I would imagine, transfers over into your relationships, right? Like, you're married mm -hmm. uh, and you have a, a daughter. How old's your daughter? She's 14, going to be 15. And how, does, uh, and how long have you been married? Uh, oh, we're coming on 17 years. Wow. Right. So, I mean, even conversation, dialogue, you know, me and you, we get breakfast a lot and, uh, and it's like just even maybe trying to get your, your daughter to take guitar lessons or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, does that come, do you, does it come into play? Is it, does some of the philosophy transfer over into? Well, I think, Yes. I mean, there's, there's analogies and then there's kind of direct connections. Like anal analogy wise, you know, to me, when you're with a kid, when you're with your child, you want to try and treat them as if they're 
as much as possible an autonomous person, that you value their opinions, and you, if they don't want to do something, you try and appeal to the reasoning behind what you want to do. You don't want to get to, because I said so, if you don't have to, because you're trying to teach them to make good choices when it's their turn to make choices. So mm -hmm. if they don't understand why you're making the choice that you're making for them, then they can be in trouble later on. When, when, they're, when they're leading their own lives, they're on their own, and they go, yeah, well, he's not here, so I don't have to do that. And it's like, well, okay, <laughs> you just need to know if you're not going to do that, this is the consequence that's going to happen. And so we try and relate to that. Patience is a thing in jujitsu. You know, you, sometimes you got to, the, the expression is you got to be the nail before you're the hammer. You know, you got to figure out how to get off the bottom before you can be on top. And when you're on the bottom, it's uncomfortable sometimes. And when you're about to get armbarred or choked or somebody's got a hold of you and you're trying to escape, you're trying to stay calm and patient and wait for your moment to take your most decisive action. And I feel like that comfort in uncomfortable situations is something that I think a lot of people aren't used to. I think a lot of people, when they get into a, a conversation you know, they, 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 they have a go-to of uh, aggression or a go-to of threats of violence. You know, people now act like they want to fight you all the time. And it's like, look, let's get real. You don't want to fight me. You're you going to swing on me because I cut you off in traffic? You want to swing on me because I didn't realize that you were ahead of me in the line at the bank? I mean, let's just stay calm and talk about this for a minute. You know, we don't have to, we don't have to do that. And right. You know, and it, it's it's, it's funny because it's the people who know how to handle themselves, who know how to engage, are the ones who actually don't want to fight and want to, you know, be hands off. That's and, right. And the guys who maybe they they watch the YouTube clip <laughs> on how to throw a punch or kick. Those are the guys who want to fight. And, and, and well, right, if you're a black belt in some martial art or you're a trained boxer who's competed, you know, like. If it goes to fighting, and, and second of all, most of the people who want to fight you, a lot of times in our job at night doing stand-up, they've been drinking. It's like, look, right. I know something you don't know, <laughs> and also you're drunk. So it's stupid for us to fight. It's stupid from your point of view, but like, look, I, I, the thing that I'm talking about on stage is, is like, you only have to take one jujitsu class to realize you, you, you got no business fighting anyone. And the guys who are good don't have to fight. I mean, there's cops in there and all that, so they get in situations where they have to engage because someone's grabbing onto them. But what, but what you want to do in life is just like, hey, I'm sorry, have a good day, I'll see you later, you know? When, when what kind of, of mindset is guiding you through life? And the reason why I ask that is because you've, you've done Letterman over 20 times. 46 times. 46 times, David Letterman. And when I say done David Letterman for the, the listeners, uh, uh, he's done stand-up, performed stand-up 46 times on David Letterman's show. Which is, a, which is a record. Which I mean, is, not that I need to say to, that for myself. No, you do need to but, say that, but it's, yeah. People are listening and they're yeah, curious. Yeah. Um, and when most comics, when they perform late-night stand-up, most comics have never performed late-night stand-up, one. And then the ones who do, do it one time. Right, it's either uh, Tonight Show or David Letterman or Conan or something like that is once. So to do it forty six times, 
right? Like, I, like, how many albums is that, first of all? It's a lot of time. It's I mean, a- most of those sets are between four and five minutes. Yeah. And I, but look, I started, my first set was in 1987 on Letterman. My yeah. last set was a couple months before he retired, which wow. you're going to have to Google that. Okay. Um, but uh, he was a fan of mine, and I was a fan of his. And, uh, you know, I... <laughs> I feel like we all know people in life who they figure out how to do one thing good and they just keep doing it. And that's a little bit of what I figured out how to do that. And he was supportive and, and nice enough to keep inviting me back. And I just, I really enjoyed doing it. Of course, it's a different world now. When I started, there was no, I mean, I, I want to think back, but there was barely VHS video rental right. back then. Right. You right. know, right. and now, DVDs, people are quitting making DVDs. You can watch everything on online. So people are doing their own videos of their stand-up. Everybody's got a our Netflix special now. And so so things are quite a bit different. But but when I started, from when I started, that was that was the thing to do as a stand-up is to try and get on Letterman or the Tonight Show uh, and then try and get a HBO or a Showtime special. You know, what's crazy is there's so much talk about artificial intelligence and the computers are coming in. The computers are taking our jobs. But you just indicated, like, it's it's already happened to you, right? Because of technology, because of computers, now you've had to transition from your... What was your strength in terms of doing these Letterman's, these five-minute spots on Letterman? Mm, yeah. And now you've had to figure out another lane of, of focus, Right. Um, because, like you said, the VHS, the streaming, now like people aren't consuming it the same way. And Letterman's not on air anymore. You right. know, that's the other right. thing. But even so, even the, the guys who are on air, like James Corden and uh, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, those, those shows don't mean as much as a stand-up as they used to. I mean, they're right. great. Right. And I, I'm not insulting those shows. I think they're great, and I would be proud to, to be on any one of those shows. Uh, but, uh, but they don't mean what they used to mean. The game generally is still the same to me when I look at it. What do I know? I'm 58. But the game is still the same in the sense of get famous, sell tickets. Get famous, sell tickets. So the more well-known you are, the better chances are that when you come to a comedy club in some town, people are gonna know, enough people are going to know who you are that they're going to pay for a ticket to come see your show. Mm-hmm. That's what you want. That's what everybody wants. But... Back in the day when I started, the way the ways to get famous were simple. It was like you don't have to sit around at home and figure that out. It's you get on Letterman, you get on the Tonight Show, you do an HBO or uh, a Showtime special, and you're all set. Mm-hmm. But now there's so many new ways to get famous. So in, in one sense, it's great, and there's so many great comedians out there. You know, struggling for you know kind of roughly the same amount of spots. We're I think we're on the threshold of a of a new way of setting up live shows, my opinion. But, but now you don't, you don't have to get famous by getting a gatekeeper at HBO or Jimmy Kimmel's show to put you on. You can get famous by recording your own set or your own video blog or your own Instagram or you know, some of these guys you watch on YouTube that, that I've uh, gotten turned on to, you know? Yeah, back in the day, it was all about, you know, working for somebody else, and then that company would take care of you, whether it was through health benefits or, or whatever, and then you, you hope to retire in a company. And same thing in the entertainment field. It was like there was a, there was a format. It was a blueprint. Mm. And now, the, and no matter what industry you're in, everything's the Wild West, right? It's like, you could, yeah, you could be working for somebody, but who knows if that company's going to be around forever or if technology's not going to come in and swoop out your... 
your position. So how do you stay adaptable? How do you stay flexible? How do you well, stay? When you say Wild West, to me, that's, that's what I was talking about also. It, it's that the amount of ways that there are to get famous. And you know this study, I can't remember the study, but the, where the more choices that people have, the, the more anxious and a little bit less happy they get. Wow. Right? So right. if you just got a few choices, you could make a you could make a rational choice. I want to try and get on Letterman, or I want to try and get a special on, on this channel, or I want to try and uh, be a writer on a sitcom. But now there's so many choices and so many things for you to try and figure out how are you going to spend your time. You can't do all of them, you know? Like Instagram, I'm on Instagram. I really like it. I'm just waking up to how, how to have fun and do it and enjoy it. You and I talk about how to do that and the hashtags, and I still... It's, it's hard to, to learn it. Not that I'm some old guy who has a hard time learning stuff, but there's things that young people know that's just intuitive about. Absolutely. This is the hashtags you put on. This is how you connect to the other people who are doing your thing. And, you know, wh what are the age of the... What's the demographic of the people who are most likely to come to your show? And how do you, how do you let them know that you're going to be there? Once you're, once you're famous enough, I mean, I feel like in St. Louis, is there 200 people who want to come see me? Definitely. How, how do I let them know I'm coming? That's that's the question, and you're either doing that on your own social, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, mm -hmm. whatever you're doing, or you're buying an ad and putting it on one of those, or YouTube, or you know, you're doing your hot podcast. You, it's always been a hustle, but now there's so many different ways to hustle that I think people can get distracted, flitting around like a bee to all the different flowers instead of like just figure out one or two that you're really good at and where you're making a connection and hone in and hone in, you know, I, the same thing with uh, dating. It's like, there's all these different, you know, I know you, you've been married for a while, but just so many different w dating apps, mm. you know, from uh, eHarmony to match.com to Tinder to hinge to coffee meets bagel to bumble uh, to plenty of fish. It's like, it's just a, it's just a sea of options. I got about and, half of those and I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and then then they got the niche ones, right? Like farmers only or uh, yeah. d daughters of farmers. It's like J -date. It gets specific J date. It gets real, and, and then the, the one for uh, if you're if you're married and you want to step, it's like yeah, yeah, it's it's endless. And like you said, the more options you have, the less happy you are. The more anxious you are, how do you how do you whittle? How do you focus? How do you what like what do you do to like? How do you decide? Well, first of all, I would not set myself up as an expert on <laughs> any of this stuff. So you just keep in mind if you're listening to this, you got as much you got as much know how about how to decide what you're doing or focus on your thing as as I do. But you know. For me, I, I think about it a lot now because I'm at a point in my life where I can look back on a lot of things that happened in my career, a lot of things that I did and then choices that I make and, and have, a, have a kind of a, a different perspective and so a deeper understanding of the things that I did at the time that I did them. Now I've got a better perspective on what was going on than then and, and, I'm, and I'm really trying to figure out like, how did I get here? That's what we're all asking. What, what, what happened? Where am I going? If you're in your 20s and 30s, you're like, where am I going? If you're in your 40s and 50s, a lot of times you're asking yourself, how did I get here? And I feel like I made a lot of choices in my career that were based on my personal happiness, 
for example, moving to the beach here to Santa Monica, or they were based on, I, it's going to be more fun to do this and rewarding to do this creative or friend-wise or travel-wise than to do that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there were opportunities in the past, in the 90s, for me to be, you want to host this show, you know, one of those evening at the Caroline's improv, whatever type of show. You want to be the host of this. And I did one of those shows for Comedy Central, and I really enjoyed it. Looking back, maybe I would have done more of that because that helps you be more famous now and more known to people now to be able to go out and do the comedy clubs that you want to do. So, so from a pragmatic standpoint, maybe I did that. But I turned it down because I felt like I did that. It was okay. That's not so much what I would be interested in, you know? And I, and I thought when I was younger, I was, I really, oh, it'd be cool to be an actor. It'd be cool to be an actor like Tom Hanks or Jim Carrey where you get to do comedy or Robin Williams where you do comedy and you also can be serious. But then I also want to keep doing stand-up. I was never the person like, uh, I remember Ellen back in the day, DeGeneres, who, who I was friends with a little bit back then. She, she couldn't wait to get successful and so she didn't want to keep doing stand-up because it's rough in comedy clubs. It's, you know, you yeah, got to deal for a woman and at that time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. right. Um, and so I was always a person like, I like doing that. I want to keep doing that. Mm -hmm. And I've, I had a disappointment in 1998, which is, it seems it's 21 years ago now. Right. Um, but I had disappointment in a pilot that I did that was so close to going, and it was good when it finally got shot, but there was a executives turned over at the network, mm. and I was like, man, I am so tired of other people being in charge of whether or not I get to do show business. And I just said, I have a job in show business. I'm going to go on the road, and I'm going to do these clubs. I'm going to write new material. I'm going to connect to these audiences, and I'm going to enjoy myself. And that's basically what I've been doing for that last 21 years, and I've, and I've loved it. But then also there's a little bit of a, like, how did I get here? It's like, oh, I made that choice. I made that choice mm. then. And I don't know, maybe there was a little bit about having my feelings hurt and not putting myself out there. But when I'm honest with myself, it's also a little bit about I like doing this better than I like doing that. Right. right. And so, so that's what I did. And I kind of got away with it. I don't, I don't know that uh, if you're... 35 years now and you, you 35 years old now and you say look I want to do <laughs> I want to do stand up comedy for the next 20 years and maybe I'm going to get to do a few theaters but I'm not going to blow up and be huge like Bill Burr or somebody can I do that you know mm, I don't know I don't I don't I don't think the world has changed the world has turned since then and so that's why I, when I say you know you can't go by me I, I was making my choices at a different time than now but you, you talked about uh, you know your your feelings were hurt and and you responded to that by taking action, taking ownership. Is that how you usually respond when your feelings are hurt? Uh, yeah, that's a pretty. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to think for a little while to come up with the general. If that's a generalization, I I, I feel like. When your feelings are hurt, or you feel yourself angry or or hurt and this is maybe jujitsu now too what you got to do first is pause you know and I think that's what meditation helps you do meditation helps you to become aware of the time between 
a stimulus and your response between the thing that hurt your feelings and what are you going to do about it. And the, the more you can sit in that time and try and understand how you feel and what you want and how to get where you want to go, the more time you can spend doing that, the better the result that you're going to have. I mean, not that you want to be paralyzed for a year or something, but, uh, but yeah, I feel, I feel like you want to, you want to think about where you are, deal with, deal with where you are right now and think about where you want to go and think about how you want to get there. Yeah. I, uh, I often have, I used to just think that I, when somebody, when I was hurt, I used to just think I was just pissed. Like that just made me angry. And I'm just now incorporating the language of hurt into my vocabulary. Because sometimes it, the hardest part of talking about being aware, being aware and knowing where you are now is being able to uh, label it, right? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you can get hurt. Sometimes uh, maybe you're not hurt, you're just uncomfortable, right? But maybe you don't have the vocabulary for that. Or maybe uh, you're, you're just bothered by something like you know it's like this what, what's the how do you get specific with you had to get specific with the language and being able to identify how you feel so that you can have a better uh way of responding we're talking about stimulus and response right mm-hmm. yeah. but you may not you're not responding in a correct way because you haven't quite figured out the stimulus you, you don't know you haven't quite figured out you you weren't hurt you were bothered or you were uh, frustrated, and, and those all call for different types of responses, right? Mm-hmm. There's not a one-size-fits-all. Uh, I want to go back early. Um, we're talking about jujitsu, and and you said that one of the things that got you into it was that, you know, the small guy was able to, to eventually uh, able to control and dominate the other guy and, and get on top. Do you, do you feel, have you felt like the underdog most of your life, or? Hmm. Is that is that kind of what drives you? Well, I'm not a small guy. I'm right, you're not a small two. guy. You're six I'm six two. two. I've been two hundred pounds before. I'm about one eighty right now. But I'm not. I'm not a small guy, and I'm not a weak guy. I never felt weak. But I wasn't. I wasn't a powerful person. I wasn't a, a sports person. I started exercising, working out when I was in my twenties in in a kind of a not necessarily bodybuilding, but a strength training in that atmosphere kind of way. Um, and I think it was about making myself stronger. I, I, I don't think of myself as, as an underdog, but I've always... Look, when I started taking jiu-jitsu, the, the guy, you know, the professor, the head guy, Hanato Magno at Street Sports in Santa Monica, if you want to go there, it's a great place, would always do these... Like sometimes the class would be about self-defense, and he's mm-hmm. talking about on the street, when you're on the street, when you're in a fight on the street. Mm-hmm. And it's like... There's 20-year-old guys in there who maybe are going to get in a fight in the street. But I'm, at that time, 57, 58 now. I've never been in a fight on the street, and I know how to not get in a fight on the street. So, I mean, this is one of the things that I joke about in my act. Like, you, you don't really have to take jujitsu to be a black belt because a black belt knows he can't fight anybody because he knows what he can do, and he knows he's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so he can't fight anybody. So if you just tell yourself, I'm dangerous, I can't fight anybody. <laughs> I'm just going to apologize and get out of the situation. I already knew that. I already knew how to do that. I already knew how to how to apologize and back off and get out of something. And I always felt small about it. I always felt like I'm getting dominated. It would be great to not have to take this 
shit from another person, but that's all happening in your head. That's all hap- that's hap- that's what you're doing. You know, when, oh, somebody does this and you say, oh, when you did that, it made me feel like this. You're dom- that's a choice that you're making. Now, maybe they got some intent going on too, but you don't have to choose it that way. You, you don't have to say, oh, what you did made me have to fight you. Like, who's in control? They're in control. You're not in control. What you do then makes I have to fight you? That's you're in control. I, I don't want that. I want to be in control. You do whatever you want. I don't have to fight you. It, it, it's so true. It's, uh, it's like, I, you know, I love what you said about um, you could either choose to be like, I'm not fighting because I'm weak or... I'm not fighting because I'm so powerful and I can hurt you and I can devastate you. And, you know, but you, you make that decision. And it's not based on skill level because either way, no matter what you decide, you could be wrong. It could, right? right? Oh. You could think that you're the baddest and then you fight this person, get your head, your butt. Uh, you ever watch that UFC? There's some people who are badasses. <laughs> right. And they get hurt. Yes. You cannot win them all. You cannot win every fight. And any day could be the day where you decide somebody did something that made you have to fight them, and now you made a mistake, or they got in some lucky punch, or they, you didn't know they had a rock in their hand, and now you're unconscious, or your neck's broken? <laughs> no, no, thank you. I mean, it's the same thing with like a, a, a breakup, right? Where you, know, you could decide that the person left you because you're not enough, or you could decide the person left you because you're too much, or uh, they have their own thing going on, but... But you decide what the what the you yeah. know what the what the reason mm. was, and mm. and it is outside of uh, you know they're going to give you their reason. They're going to be like, well, because you blah blah blah. That doesn't mean it's the reason. It's just yeah. their reason, and you have yours, and you don't have to agree. It's just all right. That's what you feel. Great, and this is how I feel. Great, adios. You know? Right, right. It's hard to get to that place. Yeah. I mean. Everybody wants to give a fair chance to see if they can work something out. But yeah, I remember a long time ago, one of my friends who was who was famous and successful said to me, "You know, if some other guy can steal your girlfriend or your wife, they can have her. You know, she's no. That's who you want to be with. You want to be. You got. You got to lock her in the house. You got to keep an eye on her all the time. That's who you got want. Cameras set up. That's yeah. who you want. No." I, you know, and I feel the same way, and it's amazing how uh, I was dating a girl from Puerto Rico, and, and, and in her head, it meant I didn't care about her, you know, because she, she was used to being with possessive guys and guys who were checking in on her all the time, and I'm like, I'm not that guy. Like, there's, I, I, it would be egotistical of me to think that I can do something to make you, uh, to make sure that you stay with me. And make sure you never leave. I mean, yeah, there are things you know I can do to, to you know, there are things that you should do in a relationship that we, we talk, you know, spending time for blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, I can do all the right things, and it still not work out. That's just life. Well, right. I, I would say in in my personal life, in my career, every job, every job that everybody has, but especially in in stand up or show business there's a there's a there's a want to and a have to mm. you know you gotta have you have to do something to earn money to support your life right but hopefully there's enough want to in your job like i, w- I want to go to st louis and do a show right now yeah is i'm not crazy about getting up at four in the morning to go to the airport or to get up and do radio or all that but you gotta oh I, to me a, a, a little trick hack workaround is keep keep your eye on the on the want to and 
minimize the have to in your life. Um, because also, I think this, everybody wants to act like we're in a force-based world, that like the reason to learn jujitsu or fighting is because you're gonna dominate, you're gonna make somebody do something. And the reality is, you can only make somebody do something if, you, you, if you're ready to fight them and constantly pour attention into controlling them all the time. And that's not a recipe for your happiness, certainly not for their happiness. What you want to do is to figure out a way, and this goes back to what I was saying about with kids, you want to you figure out a way to, to get them to realize they, they want to do the same thing you want to do, or you both want to do some version of something that's a compromise or somewhere in there. You, you want to keep in, keep in the want to and get people to... <laughs> you you want to convince people. You don't want to force people. What uh, Do you have siblings? I have one sister. You have a sister. Is she older or younger? She's three and a half years younger. Wow. And uh, was that, did you guys grow up close together? Or was there fighting or did she beat you up? Or did well, you beat her she was up? younger. Was she was younger. So um, there, there's, some, <laughs> there, there's some forceful younger sisters out there. Well, like we were saying, I wasn't a dominating guy. I mean, in, like I said, in college, in my early 20s, I started exercising and working out to see if I could get a little bigger, but I was a skinny kid and mm. not good at sports and, mm. you know, but I, I was never worried about her. She wasn't a right. domineering person. She's a yeah. very strong person, right. but uh, we may have fought a little bit when we were kids, but because of our gender difference and our age, age. difference, we weren't really pals. Now, we both kind of come a little more together now because we're adults and hopefully as an adult, you're also working on yourself and you're issues and you're trying to develop deeper connections to other people and become not just tolerant but interested in what other people's challenges are or why they're doing what they're doing and since we shared our childhood uh it's great to talk to her about that stuff because everybody's childhood is you know even people who had a great childhood there's some things in there that you're still trying to like oh, that happened how does that how does that inform who i am now you know, so at, at fifty-eight, you're still un, uncovering those layers. You're still peeling back. Mm. At forty-three, I'm peeling back those layers. I'm, I'm looking back, like, whoa, I, you know, yeah, I, I feel like somewhere in my fifties, I kind of got to a place where, like, I, I feel I, I understand that stuff. Although there's still definitely things that come up sometimes with my that response when you have that pause between something that happened to you and what you think you're going to do next. And you you go through the list of the multiple choice of what you could do. You realize, man, sometimes there's a couple of those in that multiple choice that that got programmed. That's some software that got put in when you were a kid, mm. and you got to like, okay, well, if you're in a multiple choice test, the first thing you want to do is rule out the obviously wrong answers. <laughs> and so, there's still a few of those in there at at 58. There's still a few obviously wrong answers. But if you if you don't take that moment to think about it. A lot of times they think about, well, of course this is what I'm going to call this person an asshole right to their face. I'm going to start screaming in this in this public establishment because of something that you know somebody else did that that probably has nothing to do with me. Um, I have a I have a, a sister who's four years younger than myself, also, uh -huh. and similar relationship where we grew up. Not not close, but not far either. You know, it was just yeah. She's my younger sister. She wants to play with me, and I'm like, scram, kid. You know, mm. I go play with my boys. But now that we've gotten older, we've definitely gotten a lot closer. You know, we were adults, and and it's funny like rehashing our childhood and talking about 
our experiences. It's funny how you can grow up in the same house with someone and realize you had completely different experiences and oh, perspectives yeah. on on how your life was. Did you were your both your parents around growing up? Yep. Yeah, my parents were married. They're still married. They're having their 60th wedding anniversary this wow. summer. Yeah. What did you learn watching your parents? Like when as a you know, as a kid, I remember looking at my mom and being like, I'm not gonna do that when I get older. And then there were things I was like, I definitely wanna do that. You know, like I love this and I love but I'm gonna leave that behind. Mm. What like, you know, now that you're married now, are there things that you're like I want to transfer, you know, some of these things over to to your to your current relationship and and outlook on life. You know, just yeah. looking at how your parents interacted. Yeah, I don't, I I don't know, I, I don't I don't think it's fair for me to tell too much of their story, even though some of it they've they've told me. Fair enough. But uh, just suffice it to say that. I, I probably seem like an older person to the person who's listening right now. And so that means my parents are in their 80s. <laughs> so, so there's no denying they're, they're old and they're from a very different time mm. to, to this time now. You know, my mother would always say that there weren't any books about raising children. I mean, there was a book that was a Dr. Spock baby book, but there was there, the, the, the advice that, that parents were giving then was very sparse and it was very different. Than, than the advice people get now. Mm -hmm. And they grew up in a time where divorce was super stigmatized. And even though people did get divorced when I was a kid, uh, it, it was much rarer then than now. And I think my parents kind of felt a little bit like, uh, I mean, they love each other and they appreciate each other and they've been through it with each other, but there's a little bit, you know that movie where, uh, I think it's Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier escape escape from prison and they're handcuffed together uh, and they got to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I feel like my parents' marriage <laughs> was a little bit like that. There was a little bit like, we're going to have to figure this out. And when you're handcuffed to another person, sometimes they can yank that chain a little oh, yeah. hard. Oh yeah. I think people in relationships, you, it, sometimes you got to stop and think about like, look, there's a high barrier to exit for this other person. Mm -hmm. And am I taking advantage of that? Am I being enough of an asshole to where it's like I can get away with being this big of an asshole to this person that I would never do to one of my friends? Right, right. Um, because they would, our friendship will be over. But I can get away with it in this marriage because they ha it's hard to mm -hmm. get divorced. Mm -hmm. And you, you got to remind yourself when you're in that pause, like, oh, this is my favorite person. This is my favorite person in the world. I decided to marry this person, to spend my life with this, per this person. I feel like I owe it to that part of me that knows that to, to treat her, my wife, just a little bit better than everybody else. Mm. And it's, it's hard to stay in that spot. So I would say I learned that from my parents, but a little bit from from like, okay, I see how they were sometimes and I try and reverse that. But, you know, my wife, it's not like I'm some kind of a saint and my wife is a, a, an abusive jerk. I mean, we all have our moments where you take your turn being the, mm -hmm. the person who's got to do some apologizing or cooling down. And I feel like my wife has been, you know, now people go to therapy. When I was, when I first started to go to see a therapist when I was oh, 29, uh, it was like crazy people did that. Like you, like Woody Allen was going to see a therapist, but nobody I knew was doing it. I mean, it turned out somebody was, and that's who put me onto it. But it was like 
to, to be able to work, to try and work on yourself and figure out why am I doing what I'm doing? How do I get more choices into that multiple choice? What am I going to do next that are, that are higher quality, are going to be more productive, take me closer to where I want to be in my life? Um, that's a real, that, that's something that I've worked on with myself, but my wife is also working on, you know? And I, and I feel like now, then when you have a kid, it's a whole new game changer. You know, when you get in a relationship like a marriage with somebody, you start working out like this is who I am and you're not doing me right. And you got to kind of realize, look, this relationship is important. So I got to back off of that and engage with this person and reach some kind of understanding that we're both not a force base, but a but a choice base. We got to make a choice that we both like mm. about what's going to happen next. And then when you have a kid, they bring up that stuff too, because it's different when you're married. Like I, I, I'm invested in this marriage, but when you got a kid, she's your kid no matter what. So if you put her in a spot where she's going to fight you back and get adversarial with you, that's you made a mistake. You know, you want to you want to keep it quiet. I, I, I'm always trying to if someone else raises their voice, don't raise my voice. And it's very hard when some thermodynamics, when you put heat into a into a situation, it gets hotter. And so when someone else is putting heat in, it's very hard not to reciprocate. It's very hard not to put more heat in yourself. You know, you raise your voice, I'm going to raise my voice. But thermodynamically, you're never going to get something to cool down by putting heat in. You got to put, you got to chill it. You got to chill it out. You got to slow it down. You got to stay calm. You got to try and call the other person's attention to it. Like, hey, let's, maybe why don't we take a break and see if we can get our voices down and talk about this and see if we can work towards something that's going to work for us. But it's, that's a real complicated thing. And I feel like that's something that in our family, we're, that, that's, that's, our, that's the lesson of the day for the, for the last few years, you know. What, at the age of 29, what were you going to therapy for? I was in a relationship that was, uh, it, it, it wasn't good for me. And again, I was young. I didn't understand myself. She was young. She didn't understand herself. I think she still had some hard feelings about this, but I needed to, to either say, look, we need to work towards something that, that's going to work for me, or eventually we got to the point where I, I was like, look, I, I can't stay in this room. I, I, I can't keep listening to you tell me that I'm a jerk and I'm not doing the right thing, and I, and I can't change the things. that I can't just completely do what you want. And so I needed to get out of that relationship. It was a real struggle for me because I really cared for her, and, uh, and we just couldn't, we couldn't work that out. And I needed to get with a therapist to be able to unwrap all of that feelings and why, why I felt like I wanted to keep staying when it wasn't working. And, and, you know, we, we, I, I just needed to personally grow a little bit and I needed to extricate myself from that situation. And it was very difficult. You know, when you're in a situation that is hurting your feelings or making you angry or making you feel like you are less than, um, you can sometimes feel like, oh, is this my fault? Do I deserve this? And, and it, it helps to go to therapy to get a, an outside objective, a little more of, it's not objective because you're paying this person. So they're probably going to try and be on your side, but they're not just a cheerleader. They're also going to help you wake up to the fact of like, 
well, this seems fair, but do you think this is really fair? Or when you say that this is the only way, the path that you see forward, what about these other paths? And that's that's gets back to that idea, that multiple choice. You know, at that point, I was still operating on the software that I got when I was a kid. It's it's uh, that is such a, a hard thing to do because when you're in a relationship, you you go in thinking like. I have to put work in. Like you, you know, it's going to be work. You know, it's going to it's going to, or at least I don't like the the word work so much for a relationship, but effort. It requires effort. It requires attention, and sometimes you you go at what point is it? Am I overextending myself? You know, it's kind of like it's good to stretch, but not to the point of strain, right? Right. You you want to put attention in. I feel like that, and you want to feel that the other person is putting attention in. Absolutely. And then you want to feel like you're satisfied with the interchange and where you're getting to, you know, and you don't want to feel like you're being dominated or taken advantage of. But then you also got to look at yourself because sometimes some of those feelings, you're, you're injecting that in there. Like... Like if you're in an argument with somebody who wants to fight you and you feel like I have to fight you because you're dominating me, it's like, well, so you, you can disengage. It's harder to disengage when you're with that other person. But it's, I'd say it's the attention, you know. That's the thing with our daughter. Sometimes at an inconvenient time, she needs to talk to you about some shit that is important to her that it doesn't feel like a big deal to you. But everybody's problems are a big deal to them. And if you value someone like you value your child, the, the best thing to do, if you can, if you, you, you need to stop yourself and say, look, can I just stop doing what I'm doing and go 100% focus on this right now? Mm-hmm. And if you can and you can listen, if you can find out what they think and what they want, you, you, a lot more often you can figure out something that's going to be acceptable to both of you and it doesn't have to get escalated. Mm. It's true. Uh, yeah, try to. I think a lot of times we're so focused on what we want and what we need, uh, we don't take the time to learn what the other person. When you watch those movies, and then the hostage negotiator comes in, the first thing he he wants to know is, what do you want? What do you need? You know. So book re- recommendation, mm-hmm. Chris Voss. Oh yeah. Never split the difference. Yes, I can't remember if I told you about. We that talked book. about this. Yeah, that book is so awesome, <laughs> yeah. both in in your personal relationships and and in any kind of business you're doing. Chris Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference, highly recommended. I I did the audio book. It's 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 easily consumed Powerful. that way. Yeah, and also Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That book I thought was a business book. Yeah, and it's not. It that book it can really help you in in your interactions with other people. And that's another book that has an audio book. I've got a subscription to Audible. And if you, through your library, a lot of times you can get these books through your library, check out the audio book on your phone for free and listen to it. Those two books, great books. But but in uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, you, you know, you want to st- seek to understand before you seek to be understood. You know, mm-hmm. people don't care what you think until they think that you care. You know, that's, those are little aphorisms, but. Are there, what, what's, uh, what are the, like, in terms of asking good questions to really get deep, are there, 
are, what are the, what are some good questions that you ask to really, especially talking to your daughter or your wife and, and trying to de-escalate a situation or trying to get more clarity? Uh, what what are, what are the questions that you typically will ask? Well, a lot of times with kids, they want to express their feelings, mm -hmm. you know, and they want you to hear their feelings. You know, they go, I'm mad about this. And you, you want to then let them know, I, I get that you're mad. I see why you're mad about that. And then what you want to know is, well, what do you want to have happen next? Or what, and, and this, what do you, what's your feelings? What do you want? Um, uh, let's talk a little bit more about what you want and let's think about some alternatives that might work. And, you know, pe people want autonomy. Everybody wants autonomy. Kids want to be treated like they're a person. And so you don't want to be forcing them to do things. But if you can put the world into like, here's, here's, this is what you want. This is the choice that you want. But we can't do that because of this reason you know it's a, you, you don't that that can't happen but what about this this or this or we can do this thing now but then we can we can do exactly what you want but just not right now we can do it later or or you can do what you want now you can do exactly what you want now but you got to promise me that then after you're going to do this other thing which is the thing that I need to if it's a chore or something like that right, right. and people want to be in control of their own lives they want to be making choices from they want to do what they want to do and so it, the more you can help with a kid to to let them do what they want to do and and get them to agree this and then the thing that I, mm -hmm. I want you to do once they agree to that kids at least my kid and I think most kids have a have a real strong sense of fairness and integrity people want to be consistent with what they said that they would do and some, sometimes, you know, you, she'll say, um, I'll say, you got to be home at 4 o'clock. And then it's 10 after 4, and I'll text her and say, look, I need you to do what you said that you would do. Mm -hmm. And she gets home. She's 10 minutes late. But the first thing she says is, I'm sorry, we got caught up in this thing. Mm -hmm. So I know that the next time, she's not going to be late. Well, how, are you using this? How, or how are you using that line of questioning on yourself? Because a lot of times, like, so like the other night, I man, it was it was crazy. I had a breakdown. Um, it was and it was a powerful breakdown. It was it was such a great powerful. Oh my god, it was fantastic. Basically, I was at the Comedy Magic Club, mm -hmm. and one of our favorite places one of our on Earth. Favorite club. So we've talked about the jujitsu, but this Comedy Magic Club in Hermosa Beach. If you live in the L.A. area, you need to go down there see one of these ten comic shows on a Friday Saturday night. It's so fun. It's and uh, and I'll be there uh, tonight and tomorrow. But by the time this episode airs, airs, uh, this will be it would have. Passed if you're already. in town, let's. If you're in, if town. you're in town, any any weekend, any weekend, you catch me or Jake or any of the other talented guys that are uh, performers there. Um, but I was there, and uh, the manager Richard, who's also amazing, been running, helping run the place for a long time, was talking about how. It would be, you know, as a comic, I could just submit my audio to Sirius XM and, you know, and I don't have to uh, release an entire album, or even 30 minutes. I could just send them like a few minutes of yep. my audio, which I didn't know. 
I didn't know that either. And he said, uh, you know, and, and you and, get and you get paid and you get paid, when they pay and those you get tracks. paid very nicely, right? Oh, it's pretty nice, yeah. And uh, and I've talked to some other comics, and they've told me what they've gotten from just a few minutes of their stand up being. I was like, are you kidding me, right? Like, mm. um, and it was interesting because on one hand, I was excited about this opportunity to. Uh, to make some money off of, of of my art and creativity, and to have more autonomy, if I if I if I make the money that people are saying I can make off of this, um, but then a part of me also felt uh, despair or overwhelmed. I couldn't quite describe what it was. There was another emotion where I could just feel my my posture collapsing. I could feel my head drop. My shoulders, you know what I'm saying? Like, like when, when somebody says something that really hurts you, you could feel yourself getting small. And I couldn't pinpoint exactly what it was. And in the past, I've, I've had the same feeling before, before, or before, before. And I've usually reacted by either eating ice cream or uh, <laughs> sex or, you know, just, just something. I forgot n- about your n- ice cream. Numbing, you love right? ice cream. I love ice cream. Uh, and I, I guess love is not the word. It's dependent upon. I, I think that's a more descriptive uh, word on it. Because uh, when you love something, you, you cherish it where, like, I'm just gobbling this stuff down. It's not love by any means. It's uh, um, But anyway, but I, I remember driving home and saying, I don't want to react like that anymore. I really want to figure out what this feeling hmm. is. And uh, I call my mom, who I never call, and I, I'm, descri- I'm talking to her and describing to her, and she was like, uh, "I forget, I forget. Now I forget what she said, but she just listened. That was the most important part. Mm. She didn't really have, but she just helped me kind of flesh out the emotions and just listened. And I get off the phone with my mom, and and I still recognize that I still hadn't gotten to the source of the emotion. I was like, "What is this? This is driving me nuts. It's come up before." Um, and I and I I feel like I'm a prisoner to this emotion, and I call my sister and we start talking, and then uh, and I'm trying to explain. I'm like I feel overwhelmed, despair, and then um, it was uh, I, I broke down and started crying because I realized that part of it was imposter syndrome, in that I felt like if I'm the one sending in my work to Sirius Satellite and they play it and I get paid for it, that I, it's, it's not validating to me because I want to be chosen. I want Sirius to call me up. I want HBO to, to say, Leo, we want you to shoot at HBO. I want Netflix. I want, the, I want the cool kids to say, we want you to be a part versus me just... Um, taking the part and that was the emotion and and i realized it's ridiculous and i can see on your face you have things you want to say but it it was refreshing to get to the source of the emotion Mm -hmm. you know to be like that's that's what i've been that's what this 